0: when I get this figured out okay when I was 22 years old um, I spent a summer traveling with three friends on a tour of the western United States and uh, our plan was to just load up in the car and start driving and our first major stop was the Grand Canyon and uh, we had done some backpacking even together the four of us here and there Um, but not a ton. And so stopping at the Grand Canyon and then hiking all the way down and back up was quite a doozy for our first like real experience. And so it really did highlight how green we were. Um, It's nine and a half miles of switchbacks down to the bottom and it takes you about four and a half hours even if you're fast. And we weren't, we we were a little over that. We stayed a couple of nights at a campground um, along a stream and then, like most hikers, we split the, the hike back up over two days. It's Arizona heat. It's 120 degrees at least inside the canyon. And so it's, it's really tough, even for people who are in great shape, to make that thing, to make that trip back up in one, one day. So anyway, we packed way more gear than we needed. Um, I'll never forget, looking back, when we got done, and I'll tell you how we got there, but when we got done... My friend, Matt, he was actually taking like gloves, like winter gloves out of his pack. And so we, we were packing ropes and like the stuff that you just didn't need down there. And so when you're packing it, you're thinking, oh, I might need this. It's possible. I could, you know, we, we could, this could be useful. Um, but then over time, those ounces and those pounds really start to add up, especially when you're coming, um, when you're coming back up. So anyway, we packed plenty of gear, um, but what we didn't pack enough of was food. Um, if, if, you, if you have done any serious hiking or backpacking before, you know uh, that it's just a rule that you need to pack in or have available to you really about twice the number of calories that, you're, that you would normally eat in a day because you're exerting yourself, carrying a heavy load all day long. Well, we didn't, we didn't pack enough food. And uh, so I remember being very, very hungry. Um, and so, you know, we have plenty of water. Um, because when you get to the bottom, you can refill because um, there's obviously streams and there's the Colorado River that runs through. Um, but if you don't have enough food, and I didn't know this, if you, if you don't have electrolytes in your body from salts and other kinds of foods, that water is worthless. Like it does not hydrate you at all. It works in cooperation with electrolytes to give you, your body what it needs. And so um, we got all the way down, had a great time, beautiful, beautiful area, Hiked back up to the first camp. We were hungry. Okay, that's about halfway point. But about two and a half miles from the top, things really just started to break down. The wheels were—they were falling off. Um, we, we would hike for hundred meters and have to stop and sit down. We would hike for fifty meters and then we'd have to stop and sit down. And I actually remember having the sensation: "Gosh, I feel cold." And so it wasn't like cold chills, like you've got the flu. It was like, it feels cold out here. And my mind knows, wait, it's literally 120 degrees and it's not cold. Something is wrong. And um, so what you find out, um, I did some research and what you find out is that one of the symptoms of severe dehydration is you start to feel cold because the blood is leaving to go to certain parts of your body that are like really, really important, like your brain and your heart. And so um, I knew, like, I'm in trouble, you know, I'm I'm carrying a pack, I should not feel cold, it's hot out here. Um, And I remember thinking, man, at some point, we're gonna have to call somebody and find somebody, and they're gonna have to bring me a mule and carry me out of here. And I was in okay shape, like I was 21 years old, you know, active, uh, but we were in trouble. And so there we were, we're just on the side of the trail, all four of us looking miserable And this, I will never forget this lady, I still have her face in my, um, in my mind. And she said, do y'all need something to eat? (laughs) And so like apparently our visible physical appearance, I mean, it told the story and, you know, and I remember walking along because when you get to the top, there's a lot of people who are just kind of like day hikers. And so there's kids, you know, so there's like this, this eight year old kid walking and he's eating goldfish and he dropped a a goldfish on the ground in front of me. And I remember thinking, I, I might eat that. Like I, (laughs) my pride at that point was still, it was still big enough for me not to pick up the goldfish. But when that lady stopped, she took out of her pocket, she had a a cellophane wrapper of like, it was cookie, like brownie crumbs. And so there was some brownie and there was some pecan in there and it was literally her trash. But she said, this is all I have. But if you want this, you can have it. And of course we're like, "Uh, yes, thank you. And so we're, you know, we're kind of eating it. And so maybe it was just a little bit of a sustenance. Maybe it was her gesture, but eventually we got, we got out of there, all right? And so um, immediately when we left, we went to subway, and I remember all four of us got foot long, um, foot long um, sandwiches. And I remember exactly what was on it. I remember the onions from that sandwich, and I remember the peppers from that sandwich. And uh, then after that, we went to Dairy Queen, and we all got like extra-large blizzards. And so we had to pay extra money, and we had to coerce the girl behind the counter to give us ice cream in a cup that was bigger than what they would normally serve, and it was chocolate chip cookie dough, and I will never, ever, ever forget that, because it was just, it was this experience for me. And so that was more than 20 years ago, Um, but the mistakes that we made, Matt pulling out the gloves, right, and me thinking, why did you bring that? And then the the taste and the scenery of the Grand Canyon, standing on the edge and seeing that place, um, the exhaustion, the hunger, the sitting down, the cold feeling—all of that is my experience, and I can tell you about it. And I can—I could even show you pictures of the Grand Canyon. I still have got pictures of us, you know, swimming in the streams down there. I could show you all of that, but it would never be sufficient for you to experience that. You could even put on a VR headset and if I did it again, or I couldn't do it now. If Danny did it again and he walked down and then back up with a VR like camera, right? You would see it, but it wouldn't really be your experience. And so here's, here's the point. When you go through something like that, you learn some things. You learn some things about yourself, okay? You learn some things about who you are, all right? You pick up some skills that you use when you go on other hikes, right? I've learned ever since then to do some, to do some things. You learn about the people that you're with. Like we all saw each other, the four of us, we saw and experienced one another in a different way. And it brought us together. Um, were there risk involved in doing that? Absolutely, like that was, you know, for some people that's a risky endeavor. It was apparently for us because we were stupid. Um, was it really hard at times? Absolutely. Um, was it worth it? Yes, 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 and yes again, it was worth it even though it was tough. Um, and I wouldn't trade a moment of any of that because I now I have these experiences that have been imprinted on my soul, and I'm different because of it. So today, what we're talking about is Christian community. And I want you to know that Christian community is very much like that. And so a trip to the bottom of the Grand Canyon... It's not something that, that you or I ever really have to do. But on the other hand, Christian community is something that we need for our own personal growth and development. It's something that we need to draw closer to Christ. It's something that we need to have rich and meaningful life in this life. And so that's where we're headed this morning. I'm going to be making a case for Christian community and I'm going to do my best to paint you a vivid picture of what it looks like when it's healthy. And then hopefully we'll see clearly um, why it's honoring to God and why it's so very good for our souls. And so then maybe after I've shown you some snapshots and told you some family stories, you'll be persuaded either to give it a try, maybe jump in for the first time, or maybe not abandon. Maybe hang in there. Um, <clears throat> So let's, let's get to the scriptures. We're going to begin with a descriptive text this morning from the book of Acts, and this is Acts chapter 2, starting in verses 42. I'll give you just a moment to get there. Um, just to lead up into this passage, um, Acts is the book that tells us what happens after Jesus was, a res- was resurrected and how the church got its start. The Holy Spirit had just been given to, to the disciples in a very public and visible way. Earlier in chapter two it says that there was a mighty rushing wind that filled the house and that the Holy Spirit appeared with tongues of fire and that the disciples were suddenly able to speak in other languages to the Jews who had come in from all over the world. So um, this is a huge monstrous really just first demonstration this unleashing of the Holy Spirit on the church for the very, very first time. And so when that happens, of course, people are very interested because they're hearing the gospel preached, they're hearing um, all of these disciples talk in their own languages. And so surely that was an impressive thing. And so anyway, Peter preaches a sermon, and over 3,000 people are baptized because they trusted in Jesus following that sermon. And so the scripture gives us a look into what their lives look like together after those events. And this is Acts two forty-two 42 through uh, 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So I want to start just by seizing on that word devoted. The early church devoted themselves to some things. So if you and I devote ourselves to something, this clearly does not mean this casual, convenient relationship to that thing. And so um, some of us in this room are runners. And so like if or you've been a runner in the past, and if you're a runner, you know that you can't just run on the days when the weather is perfect, especially around here. Like there's gonna be five days in the calendar year when it's just awesome, right? The other days are gonna be too hot, they're gonna be too cold, it'll be too windy. We just live in the panhandle. And there's also gonna be some days when you don't feel like running. You just you're you're not excited about it because you'd rather just chill and hang out on the couch. Um, but if you're devoted to running, it means that that you're gonna have to demonstrate some perseverance, that even when Uh, surroundings and your internal feelings about things, you're going to have to just overcome that and run anyway. And so even if you're not a runner, we understand this. Choose a different metaphor. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's financial discipline. Maybe it's parenting. We all understand this, that at some point to get results that are meaningful, you're going to have to stick with something. You're going to have to be devoted to it even when things are difficult because there are no perfect situations but if you do know a runner somebody who loves running they're going to tell you hey it's worth it because i get some things out of this that i you know there's some mental strengthening that's happening there's obviously a physical strengthening that's happening and there's a lot of times when you do feel really good it really is a good thing and so runners will tell you hey here's you know it is hard but there's some great things i get out of it okay so you're probably thinking, Christian community sounds like terrible, but it's anything like running, I'm not doing it. In fact, that's why you stay away from it, because you know it's stupid to get out there and run when all the weather, like when it's sleeting. Like, you get that. Um, but we can all agree that at some point, devotion to things is necessary, and it yields really, really good stuff. And so we're going to talk about the things that the apostles devoted themselves to, and then how we try to emulate that here at Redeemer. Um, the first thing in this list that they devoted themselves to is the apostles' teaching, and so I want to ask this question to start off with: Why did they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching? And it may seem obvious, it may be a no-brainer, but I think it's worth talking about because they could have devoted themselves to to teaching that was more famous or influential at the time. They could have they could have chosen Plato or Aristotle. Um, they could have chosen a Jewish rabbi, right, um, that had some clout in the community. They could have chosen some things. That were, um, that were, frankly, just not from normal people. The disciples were all normal guys. They didn't have this formal, formal rabbinical training. Instead, here's why they devoted themselves by the apostles' teaching, and it's because they were the ones who were with Jesus, period. They had walked with Jesus. They heard him teach. They saw him do miracles. And these 11 guys that were with Jesus the entire time from his beginning of his ministry to the end were the ones who knew him best. They saw Jesus interpret the Old Testament. And so they saw him to do that correctly. Um, And so that was crucial, that these were the guys who the church would listen to. And so I said 11, yes, there were technically 12. Um, Judas was, um, he betrayed Jesus. He died, all right? Um, But then they replaced him with a guy named Matthias. And the, the Acts actually tells us, The stated criteria for someone who was going to be an apostle to fill that role, it had to be someone who was with Jesus from the beginning to the end. And so that's who these guys were. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Um, So that's why we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. Just a little bit, a quick word about the, um, the New Testament. The New Testament is written by those guys, all right, or it's written by a guy named Paul, all right, Paul the Apostle, which is another story. That's another sermon for another day. Or people who were directly connected to those guys by by a relationship they knew, they traveled with, all right. All of the books in the New Testament were written by those people. So the books in the New Testament, those books are our link very most directly To the man Jesus himself. And that's why now, 2,000 years later, we are still devoting ourselves to those letters, to those messages, those books, because those are the people that were with Jesus. And so um, here at Redeemer, um, just like the apostles, we also devote ourselves to the Old Testament. Um, By the way, some of you are going to be excited um, after today and then next Sunday, Jeremy is going to talk about um, some other things regarding um, personal Bible study, uh, spiritual disciplines, and then family worship. But then after that, that first Sunday in September, we're starting 1 Samuel, which is an Old Testament book, and it's amazing. We are going to thoroughly enjoy that. Um, But we devote ourselves also to the Old Testament because it's the Old Testament that helps us to see the entirety of who Jesus was We don't get to look at Jesus outside of him being a Jew because he was, and when we read the Old Testament, we see, as Jesus pointed out, that the entire Old Testament was pointing forward to him. And unless we read the Old Testament with that in mind, we boil it down to a bunch of rules and we miss God's heart in it, that the Old Testament and then comes the New Testament to show God's redemptive plan for all of humanity that we have to see that Jesus fits into this context of God's working to bring us back to him. And so that's how we, from here on Sunday mornings, how we devote ourselves to the scriptures as a community. Um, And so another reason why we devote ourselves to scripture, not only does it point to Jesus, but in pointing to Jesus, it reveals to us his character and how we are supposed to copy that in our relations with one another. So we're going to be using a lot of Scripture today to help give us a framework and a, a description of Christian community and what it's supposed to look like. But without the Scriptures, you don't have Christian community because we're not looking at who Jesus was, the perfect model for attitude and heart and behavior towards one another and toward God. We have to have Him, and we have to have people who walked with Him and knew Him so that we know how we are to be. Because we know if you take the scripture out of things, relationships start to break down quickly because we're sinners, okay? That's what happens. We need scripture as a guide to be able to direct us into healthy community, okay? Um, one more thing about the, about the scriptures and devotion to that, um, We devote ourselves to Scripture together, all right? Obviously, we're here together on Sunday morning. And you might remember from last week, um, if you were here, that Jeremy mentioned that the letter of Philippians was read to the whole congregation, all right? It wasn't just a personal thing for each individual in Philippi to be able to read. It was for the whole group. And then what they did is they had all these letters, these New Testament letters that were being written by Paul and other people, those churches would then take those letters after being read and they would pass them along to other churches and other places. So those letters were being circulated around. And because of that, when that was happening, as the church was listening to those letters being being, uh, read and then also being taught, then that's what established our New Testament. Those letters were already being used. And so we continue to do this here. We come here together and we're listening to the scriptures. We're reading it out loud and then we're listening to someone um, God willing and by his grace faithfully preach to what it's saying. So um, another place that we practice devotion to scriptures is in our gospel community groups. So um, on most weeks, our gospel community groups are getting together and as a part of that meeting during the week, they will sit down and they'll talk about The sermon and they'll talk about the text from that week. And so here's here's the goals for that, just so maybe you can kind of see what it is. We've got three goals when we're together talking about the scriptures. The first one is just to gain clarity. There are gonna be things that that Jeremy says up here, or on occasion that I might say that either you just don't agree with or you don't understand. And and let's let's just be frank. There are things in scripture that are hard to understand. It's a difficult book. All right, if you just dive in and you've never read it before, man, it's hard to understand what it's saying and especially what it's saying to you. So when you go to GC, here's your chance to wrestle with that together. It is a safe place for you to say, hey, I don't know what Jeremy meant by this. Or when it says this really hard thing, ah, I, don't, I don't know about that. Like somebody help me here. What is going on? Because I, the scripture sometimes I disagree with and this is one of those examples. So that's a safe place for you to say that. And by the way, if we're not agreeing, if we're always agreeing with Scripture, we're not really being honest. We're going to disagree with Scripture. All right, because it's God's word and we are far from that. And so there's going to be some things that are going to rub against us. And GC is a place that you can express that freely. And then you can get some feedback from other people who have insight from the Lord, some of of whom have walked with God for a very, very long time. And so they can help us with that. Um, The second goal, other than just to gain clarity, is we're gonna contrast the holy character of God with you, you, and me, all right? Um, God is always, 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 always perfect in his character and his faithfulness. And we are just, we're just not. And so when we read the scripture correctly, that is highlighted for us. We see who God is, we see who we are, and then that leads to the third goal, all right? Is that we start... To, to look at that contrast and then ask ourselves, where do I need to be different? Where is it that I can become more like Jesus, okay? So those are the three, three goals. Gain clarity, contrast the holy character of God with our character, and then third, ask ourselves, how can I be different? What different decisions do I need to make today, tomorrow? That I might be more honoring to the Lord. And so, you know, just by the way, it's kind of an aside here. Um, again, just in, the point is just this morning, when you're talking about GC discussion, I want to explain what GC discussion is not, because there's a couple pitfalls that we can fall into. So here's a couple of things. The first thing is a GC discussion about the Scripture is not an opportunity to throw political or theological grenades. It's not a seminary classroom in which we focus solely on the minutia of Scripture. Only to miss like the force for the trees to miss the heart of God. Now, there's certainly a time and a place for political debate. Sometimes that's necessary, and you know, even in GC, there's going to be a time when you're going to focus on some details of Scripture because it serves the greater purpose of understanding and clarity. But if we're only talking about the minutia and we're throwing out we're throwing out grenades, um, and we're just really committed, really to like. To, to, to scholarship, to biblical scholarship. If 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 that's our only goal, then really what we're doing is we really just kind of want people to know how smart we are. And the problem with that is that it's it's not encouraging and uplifting to others. It's not God glorifying. Instead, what it is is it's me glorifying. And so we need to be very very careful as we enter that discussion. Enter that discussion humbly and gently for the purpose of really turning the spotlight that is Scripture back on us to see how we can be different. All right, Um, other ways in which we're striving to devote ourselves to Scripture at Redeemer. Um, In addition to GC, we also are going to offer at various times throughout the year opportunities for our men and women to get together in smaller groups and then be able to study a book um, of Scripture or um, a, a book about Scripture Together, And so in the next, uh, Carmen, two or three weeks, we're gonna have some announcements, I think, just regarding that specifically for women and for guys who work on that, working on that for this fall as well. So just be looking out for that. Um, we are also gonna be devoted to scripture in our homes. And I, I was so glad to hear that Jeremy's gonna be talking about family worship next week because I can leave that to him and he can talk more detail. That in our homes, at our table, with our, our core families, that we can be talking about scripture together. Okay. So um, in Acts, it also says that the believers in the early church devoted themselves to fellowship. And uh, that word fellowship means to hold something in common. So because they had this thing in common, because they had Jesus in common, their friendly association with one another was just the natural overflow of that. So as humans, we understand this, right? Um, If we really enjoy going to the gym, then we are much more likely to spend time, hang out with people who go to the gym because we've got something to talk about. Um, if we really like hunting, then we're probably going to have some friends who like to hunt. Um, and if you've got young kids, then you're probably going to be able to gravitate toward other people who have kids in kind of the same stage. Because you've got all kinds of things to talk about. All right, That is a daily, just like this daily mix of struggle and wonderfulness. Um, and you've you got things to talk about. And so um, what's happening there is you're saying, hey, like you get me. We're in a similar place. We enjoy some of the same things. You get me, so let's hang out. And that's a really good thing, but I want to make a case for why Christian community is like that, but it's so much better because it's deeper and it's wider and it's more beautiful in every single regard. And so these are some things that make Christian community distinct. Um, When healthy, Christian community is like this magnificent glimpse back to the Garden of Eden Um, Because it was then that relationships were unstained by sin. And so some of you right now, I know we're scoffing. You're like, church people have offended me my whole life. Um, And all of my experiences with them have been stained by sin. But hold on. Um, If you're scoffing because that's the thought that comes to your mind, um, then maybe you haven't actually experienced authentic, healthy Christian community. Um, Another Christian may have made you angry. And so what's happened is you've separated yourself. And man, it's super possible that you just being here on Sunday morning is a step for you, that you still want to kind of keep people at arm's length, but being here, you can still hear the word and kind of um, shake hands with people and visit, which is all good. We love that. Um, But maybe you're kind of not taking that next step into relationship, a deeper relationship, because you've just been hurt. And so if that's you, that is legitimate, and I understand that. But if you'll hold on, I think, I think we may be able to be helpful for you this morning, and then we can just see what the Lord does. Okay, um, again, here's what Christian community is supposed to look like. No particular order. Here's, here's a list of things. Christian community is multi generational. It's younger people and older people together in the same room. And, you know, what's, what's interesting that's happened here at Redeemer is because of COVID, um, we've really kept all of our little ones in the room aren't they doing a great job? Like, they do wonderful. And Jeremy and I were talking this last uh, week, and he, he was reading a Gospel Coalition article, and it basically said this, that the number one indicator as to whether or not a child will grow up and stay in the church, get this, it's if they sit with their parents on Sunday morning. It's not how awesome the youth programs are. It doesn't have anything to do with like the fire truck baptism. Okay. Well, those things are fun. Okay. Those, I mean, kids enjoy that stuff. It's great. It draws them in, but the number one thing that means lasting results, someone who's going to stay in the church is sitting with their parents on Sunday morning. And if we just think about that for a minute, man, that is, that makes sense because think about this. If our kids are with us this morning, what do they feel a part of? They feel a part of us, this group. They know that they're a part of this thing. And so then when they graduate high school and go to college, jumping in out of a high school ministry and then actually being with the body of believers is not foreign to them because they've done it their whole lives. And they've had interactions with adults and they've had positive handshakes and high fives and conversations with other adults that were not their, ki- not their parents. And so they feel a part And if there's anything, gosh, we've learned a lot over COVID, about COVID, but if there's anything we've learned is that we really need to be together. And so our kids are the same way. We want to be together and apart. Okay, so um, the biblical justification for this multi generational thing, um, it happens uh, at at least in this one place, Titus 2. And so if you're interested in that and want to go look at Titus 2, it makes a case, and it's, it's really, it's Paul saying, look, older men and women are to teach the younger generations and model the younger generations as to how to be more Christ-like. And so how can you do that if you're not together? You have to be together. You don't get to be a smart aleck and say Zoom, okay? Video conferencing is not a way to really, really teach and model. Um, I would, you know, I think what I've learned is that, that Zoom and video conferencing is kind of like eating a rice cake, um, if, if you are stranded on the ocean on a raft all alone and all you have is a pile of rice cakes, you're going to live a little bit longer, but you are dying of malnutrition. Okay. And zoom video conferencing is like that. Like we did that for a while to kind of help, you know, to see some faces and share some smiles, but it was terrible. And so we wanted to be back together. And so that first Sunday, whenever we opened the doors here, man, we, we had a full room and it's because we just, we felt that need. Right. And so um, that's why we want to be together. And it is a beautiful thing that we are multi-generational. But I, w- I want to see, I want to give you an example, excuse me, of, of what I have seen to be this real healthy modeling of one older generation um, to the younger. Um, Rex and Robin McKay are uh, members here. Rex is an, is an elder. And um, last spring, early in the spring, they joined RGC. And RGC at that time was composed primarily, maybe I think it was all just families with young kiddos. And so we had been wanting someone older to come and, and just stick. And um, they did. I don't know why, but they did. And um, I think it was the very first week that we were there. Um, every January, we do a thing called the State of the Union. Um, and it, ha- and it's just, it's, it doesn't have anything to do with the president, the State of the Union address. But we call it that because we're talking about marriages, right? The State of the Union And um, so we're just kind of going around and we get in this topic of of conflict. We're kind of seeing how everybody's doing in their marriage. And uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, but there are times when Rex and Robin, Robin, they have disagreements. They don't always agree about every little thing. And sometimes they have words with one another, right? Like there's things that happen, okay? Um, But I can't tell you how refreshing it was and how hopeful it was for me, as you know, forty-year-old guy. Um, Mary Grace and I've been, you know, we've been married for fifteen years. I think that's right, um, going on fifteen. And uh, we, um, you know, marriage can be hard sometimes. It just can, all right. But to hear another couple that you think, man, they, they, you know, you look at them, you never see them argue, but to know that, man, they've got disagreements, and um, it's. It was refreshing to me. It gave me hope that like, oh my gosh, with some perseverance and with applying, because it's obvious that Rex and Robin have applied this truth of scripture. They've had some time to work on things, to see scripture have its effect. They've been devoted to one another and devoted to the truth in God's word. And now... I got to glean some of that from their experience together. And they're not gonna sit there and tell you, hey, we've got everything figured out. And they're not walking into the room saying, hey, we, we, you, know, you need to learn from us. That's not what they're doing. But what they are going to tell us, what they have told us, is that we've learned some things and we're still learning some things, all right? Now, Rex and Robin knew I was gonna mention that this morning. Um, and so I didn't surprise them. But let me give you another example, because sometimes the, the, the mentoring doesn't just happen from the older generation to the younger. Sometimes you learn a few things from young pups, and so now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on David Lewis a little bit. All right, so David and Mandy um, lead a GC with me and Mary Grace, and um, David is always telling all of our kids, we have a horde of children, he's always telling them, you're not allowed to have fun at our house, okay? Um, and so he's joking, okay? But here's what it looks like. We're, we're, we're at dinner, and so the kids have eaten dinner, and someone's gonna like, be brave enough to walk in the room and say something um, something like this. Uh, can, can we have dessert? Which is perfectly reasonable. And David, without missing a beat, is going to say something like this. He's going to say, you greedy little monsters, you don't get dessert. The adults have already eaten it all. And so if, if you've got a kid who's new, they're like, oh my gosh. And you can just see like, really? Their face is falling. The disappointment is setting in. Um, but then eventually these beautiful smiles are going to start to crack and our and our kids and it is it is a wonderful thing as they start to realize man he's just joking and there's plenty of dessert and we're all going to get to enjoy that um but they love david and so here's what david lewis is teaching me in those moments he's teaching me to enjoy my kids and so in my better moments all right the moments when I'm not a, a complete monster Um, I'm going to remember because of being friends with David, I'm going to remember to have a sense of humor with my kids, and I'm going to remember to crack some jokes and in that way relate to them in a way that just shows them that I love them. And, you know, I can tell you those stories, and you can hear that, but it's not the same unless you're there, unless you experience it. It has a deeper impact on you, and I know that we can all agree to that. Um. Of course, this also works the other way around. You can actually spend all of your time with people who do the exact opposite for you. It's possible to prefer the company of people who never have any spiritual thoughts or desires, to prefer the company of people who don't know God's word and then have no intention of letting it change them. And they can actually draw you away from life and they can draw you away from the joy that is found in obedience to Christ. And so I'm not saying that you need to cut all ties with unbelievers. Please don't think I'm saying that. In fact, many of us need to spend more time with unbelievers. But if spending time with Christians in healthy community is not a priority for you, then you will inevitably be drawn away from the things of God to places you don't want to go. It will happen. And so while we embrace people who don't believe in Jesus and we spend time with them, man, our heart and our mind need to be devoted to spending time with Christians so that we can glean from one another what it's really like to follow and walk with Jesus. And so here's another family story, um, another reason why Christian community can be so much better than any other kind of community. Um, my wife, Mary Grace, she's the cute little brunette right there. Um, she was in a car accident three summers ago. And uh, she was driving and she was looking at cat memes on her phone whenever this happened. Um, just kidding, she wasn't. She's a better, she pays better attention than I do. Um, anyway, she, she's, she's not looking at cat memes, but she is at a, a four-way stop. And she turns the corner at that four-way stop. And some guy... Um, ran through the stop sign and just hit it, hit, hit the passenger side of her car really, really hard. And um, so, it, you know, it, it was a hard impact, but really it was like the tense reaction that she had at that impact that caused some very serious, just ongoing pain in her neck and back. And so she's exceptionally tough and so, and she's not a complainer. So she just quietly dealt with it for over a year. But there were many instances in which she's ending her day just in tears because over time, working, taking care of a home, taking care of kids, like you just get tired, and that that pain it just adds up. Um, and so, she, you know, we had tried some physical therapy. Um, she she had done some, you know, the, the, the normal kind of just routine of things, uh, muscle relaxers. She went to the chiropractor. None of that stuff ultimately worked, and we just weren't making we weren't making progress. But then one night we're at GC, and I had taken the kids home to get them in bed and showered, um, but she stayed late um, with Brooke and Mandy. And so they're there together, and because women are just naturally better at just talking about what's going on with them, like, you know, here's, here's how I am, the, the pain in her neck comes up. And uh, so they pray about that, the three of them together, and then Mary Grace goes home and goes to bed. Well, then she wakes up the next morning, and so she's so accustomed at that point to lifting her head off the pillow and just feeling that shot of pain from that movement. Well, this morning it was noticeable that it was gone. And so she, uh, she stands up and she kinda just, like I was just feeling this for a minute, and then she asks me, she, or she tells me, she says, Paul, I think the Lord may have healed my neck. And so I'm kinda like waking up to this and thinking, that's amazing. You know, but look, like I know how this sounds, right? Because I'm skeptical like you, and so even as I'm saying it, I like I know how it sounds. I I get it. Okay. Um, so both of us are kind of like we think this has happened, all right? Um, but we're not really sure. Well, then this happens. She gets in the car. She's driving, and Brooke calls her, and uh, Mary Grace answers the phone. She was still driving when she answered the phone. I bet. Um, anyway, so she she <laughs> she answers the phone. And it's Brooke, and Brooke said, I had a dream that you were in your bedroom telling Paul that you think your neck was, was healed. That, those, were her, those were her words. And um, so she says, how are you feeling? And of course, Mary Grace is just overwhelmed. She then pulls over, and now she's, <laughs> she's weeping at the faithfulness of God to heal her through the prayers of the people in our community. And so, again, you might be skeptical, I get it, um, but the people who know us and who have been walking with us, they know that this thing happened. And um, here's what Christian community does all at the same time, and this, this, is just an, this just illustrates it, that Christian community, it allows us to exercise our spiritual gifts, Right? The scripture clearly says that there are people who have the spiritual gift of healing. And so when we're in community, we get to exercise those gifts, okay? Um, We get to pray for one another. The scripture says that the apostles devoted, or the the church devoted themselves to to the prayers, okay? Now that may have been some formulaic prayers that Jesus had laid out for them, um, but it may also have been Just praying for one another. That in Christian community, you know one another well enough to know what to pray for, and you do. And the third thing is that that you really get to see the magnificent work of God on people's lives. And sometimes it's instant. Sometimes it's like that would happen with Mary Grace and Mandy and Brooke. Um, But but more often than not, what it is is it's over time, over the months and years of being together and seeing the truth lived out in one another's lives and those things kind of being illustrated for us and the Holy Spirit working, that we become more God-honoring, that we become more joyful, we have more life because we've been a part of a healthy Christian community, and that happens over months and years of being together. So I could tell you more stories, and there's dozens of you who have been involved in G.C., um, or, or in Christian community here in some other way, and you could come up and you could tell stories. We don't have time for that, but maybe at GC next time when we get together, that you, you might maybe you can make some time to share some of those things. Okay, um, I, I want to address one of the most common objections that people have to church community. And, and so we're getting back to this now. They'll say I've been hurt before. And again, you probably have. Um, and I'm guessing that if you still feel that way, it was no small thing. Somebody may have betrayed your trust. Somebody failed to love you through a difficult time. It could be that somebody or some group of somebodies gossiped about you, or they condemned you for sin in your life, okay? That could have happened. And if it did, I'm sorry. It was no small thing. But in Christian community, we learn how to resolve conflict better And if we're following the scriptures and if we're looking at the character of Jesus, those things happen far less. But look, I'm not gonna lie to you and say that those things can and won't ever happen. Those things can happen. Um, But let's take a minute to talk about conflict resolution, okay? You're gonna have conflict, all right? Someone's going to make you angry, offend you, hurt you. Um, And you know, the the other thing is this, is, is I think whenever it's church people that hurt you, I think the sting is a little bit more and it's because we have this higher standard for church people, and we should. But when church people hurt you, man, it just feels especially, it, it just hurts more. Um, but the scriptures say this. They say that we're supposed to forgive one another. Um, and, and to be more exact, it says this. This is Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you. So if you and I have faith in Christ, we have been forgiven of rebellion against the God of the universe. So there is no greater sin that we have been forgiven of individually, each of us. And so that's someone that complained about the casserole that you brought, all right, or wasn't impressed, okay, we can get over that, all right. There may have been an adult that said something to your kid that got onto your kid and that offended you, okay, we can get over that. But there are some times when we've just been hurt, and it's not just somebody stepping on our pride. Sometimes people actually hurt us, and so that's, that's more difficult, and so we have to deal with that. And if, in all things, Jesus is just brilliant at handling this. And, and so here's what he says. This is Matthew 18. Um, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and tell him his fault just between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. And that would be the point, all right? The point of dealing with conflict is not just to throw out accusations, all right? It's not to let someone else know how terrible they are. The point is restoration of the relationship that you want to gain back a brother or a sister so that you can lock arms and then walk together in unity as the body of Christ should. That's the point, and so um, we communicate with our brothers and sisters and we tell them, look, I have been hurt when this happened. When you said, or when you did this, I've been injured by that. And so we're prayerful going into that conversation that those words start a pathway to restoration, to forgiveness, that that's what happens, all right? If it doesn't, Matthew 18 goes into greater detail and tells us what happens, what, what can happen next. Um, but that's for you on another time. Um, and let's also just remember that sometimes you're not, it's, you're not always the one who's getting offended. It could be that you and I are the ones who are the offender, all right? That we say or do something that hurts someone else. And so Jesus is, always covers all of his bases. And Matthew 5 um, gives us the solution to that. Here's what he says. If you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go, First, be reconciled, to your, be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. So Jesus is telling us that if we have conflict with someone, that we should stop in our tracks. That we should go out of our way at that moment to make things right. We stop what we're doing, what we're doing, and we go. And so... Look, if I'm the one who offends you, I don't get to say, gosh, it wasn't that big of a deal. They should just get over it, all right? We don't, you don't, you don't get to make that decision. But if you know that you've hurt someone, that you've offended someone, then what you need to do is err on the side of, of preserving and protecting that relationship. And so it means you stop, you go to that person, and you say, hey, I think maybe what I said at GC the other night, I think that was insensitive, and I see now that that, I, that may have been hurtful, and I was wrong. And so um, those words, those kinds of words, you can can benefit from that in a marriage. You can benefit from, from that in a parenting relationship, in a friendship. You can benefit from that in a working relationship. There's all of these different ways where you can use that to create a pathway for restoration. Let me say it again. I realize now that I've hurt you and I was wrong. And in general, people want to forgive, especially the, 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 the people of God. Christians want to be forgiving because we want to lock arms together and continue to walk in faithful obedience to Jesus together. We want that, but sometimes those words are necessary. Um, and, and maybe you're like me and you have a hard time forgiving, all right? Let me just remind you, again, here's, here's Jesus telling us um, in the event that we're having a difficult time forgiving, what the standard is, he says this. Um, actually, Peter asked Jesus, "Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him?" I love Jesus' answer. He says, "As many as seven, Sorry, Peter asked, "As many as seven times? Like if I have to forgive somebody seven times, that's going to be a, that's going to be a lot of effort on my part, all right?" But then Jesus said to him, because he saw his heart, he said. I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And that that 77 has this idea of completeness. Like in every single complete way that they've offended you, we're gonna completely forgive because you have been forgiven of so much. So I can give you an example of that as well. Um, Kevin Redding and myself and a couple of other guys used to eat breakfast together every Friday morning over at Mejia's And uh, we were just studying uh, books of the Bible together. We'd read and talk about the scripture. Well, one morning, he and I disagreed about something. And uh, it's not important. The detail's are not important. But I think he and I could both look at that situation and say, hey, you know, there were some areas of weakness that we both exhibited in that moment. And, you know, part of it was just misunderstanding, I think. We weren't communicating clearly with one another. Um, Well, after breakfast... Like we had a phone call and some things were said, like we have words, right? And um, you know what, we figured it out, okay? But here's what happened. Not only was there forgiveness extended, I mean, mainly to me. Um, now when I see Kevin after that, I have a greater respect and admiration for him because we've been through something and we made it. So the, the temptation is that whenever you're offended, to run like crazy, get out of there. That's what you wanna do, it's natural, right? Fight and then flight, right? Um, Get out, but if you will hang in there and if we will deal with conflict in a healthy, honest, sincere way in an attempt to obey Jesus and forgive one another as he has forgiven us, we actually come out better on the other side. And what God always does, he always takes things that are really terrible and he has this way of making them into something that's really, really good. And when you're in the middle of it, you don't see it because all you can think about is how angry you are or how hurt you are um, and how terrible things are. And they are, I'm not taking away from that. When, when someone injures you, it's a big deal. But if we can hang in there, we can get to a place where man relationships are deeper and they're better because we've gone through something together. So... Um, You know, just uh, since we're being real with one another, let me respond to just a few common objections that people have to investing in Christian community. Okay, so this might be a reason why, um, you know, we're not maybe going to go to a GC, or maybe possibly we're not going to come to a men's group or a a women's group because we just want to keep people at arm's distance. These are some of the things that that you might say. Um, you might say people are just irritating to me. Okay. Um. So Proverbs tells us this. It tells us that wounds from a friend can be trusted. So I'm a friend, all right? I'm about to tell you something, all right? If you feel that way, and it's causing you to not want to engage in a relationship, if, if your attitude is, you know, people are irritating to me, then I have something to tell you, okay? You're also irritating, okay? <laughs> you are too, okay? And in fact, I can let you in on probably what, what makes you irritating. Probably what makes you irritating is that you think everyone else is irritating because really what that's revealing is that there's some arrogance there. And like people of God, we don't, man, we don't have room for that, all right? There's no room for arrogance because all of us has been forgiven great, great sin. And all of us are learning and growing together. And so that excuse just doesn't work, okay? Um, the next objection that people often have is I just don't have time, Okay. And so again, wounds from a friend, here they come. Um, If your posture toward being with other believers is that you don't have time, what's really happening is that you fail to value appropriately what the benefits are of being together with the people of God. You haven't valued how important it is to surround yourselves and your family for that matter with people who are actually walking with Jesus. It's not that you don't have time. The reality is, is that you valued some things above and beyond things that are actually more important. And that's being with people who love Jesus. One more uh, common objection. Um, you know, I've heard this before. I just don't have much in common with church people. If you're a Christian, yes, you do, okay? Um, you have these single most important thing that anyone can ever have in common with any human being ever in the history of the world on our planet. You have Christ in common. Because in Christ, you and I have been forgiven of sin, reconciled back to him, and that is a unique and wonderful and miraculous thing. We have that thing in common. In Christ, we have a common brother we have the same Holy Spirit that indwells us and the same Father who is orchestrating all events for our common good and his glory. We have common goals and the character that we want to achieve and the internal destiny that you and I will both inherit. So are we really gonna say, man, I can't see myself hanging out with them because they don't like basketball or Tiger King or you know whatever else? Like, no, we're, you see how ridiculous that sounds now? Like, this person's not a hunter, so I don't think I can hang out with them. Like, are you kidding? Like, No, the things that we have in common are so important and rich and long lasting. It makes everything else pale in comparison. And so, yeah, you're going to enjoy some of those conversations about normal, everyday stuff. But the thing that we have in common is Christ. And he is so vastly, incomprehensibly enough to bring us together, whatever our differences might be. Um, okay, uh, a few more things about the passage and then we're, we'll wrap things up. Verse 45 says that they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Okay, so if we're being honest, this makes us nervous. Um, but let me also read this passage to you from Thessalonians um, because the whole counsel of God is very, I mean, it's very good about, about rounding off these perceptions and giving us an accurate picture of what things are really supposed to look like. So um, along with them selling their possessions and giving to each other, let me also read, um, this is uh, Thessalonians, Paul talking to the church in Thessalonica, chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. It says this, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, any of you, while we proclaim the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his generation, excuse me, with his children, that's the multi-generational again together. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So here's the point, right? Paul expected himself to work and to work hard. So he was preaching in the daytime and in the evening time and in the nighttime, he was working. So that as he's preaching to the church, he's not having them pay for all of his daily needs, all right? So we have these two twin things happening, all right? We have the call of scripture, the example of Christ. We have Paul exhorting the Thessalonians, work and work hard, okay? And at the same time, we have Acts that tells us that the believers, the early church, that they were ready with generous hearts to give to one another and they were active in it. They did it. They sold things to be able to provide for one another's needs. And so, um, there's no freeloaders in the church, all right? Paul tells us in Ephesians, uh, this is 428. Um, he's telling the Ephesians that you must work doing good with your hands so that you may have something to share with those in need. And so what a, what a brilliant solution to this idea of social economic inequality, all right? It cuts across both sides of the aisle because what you're not saying is, look... Um, you're a lazy bum and you just need to get a job, okay? That's not the attitude. But the attitude also is not, I'm going to give you everything that you need so you don't have to lift a finger, all right? Those are the two primary like attitudes that we have coming at this situation. But the church, the community of God has the answer. It challenges our hearts and it says, if you're lazy, get up and go work. If you're working hard, Don't amass all the wealth just for you. You work so that you can give to others in need because we live in a broken world and life happens. And so no matter where you are in the issue, the scripture takes our head and centers us and reminds us that we all have room to grow here, all right? Don't be lazy, get out there and work. If you work hard, you're not better than everybody else, please be ready to be generous, okay? Okay. because things are gonna happen and people are going to need something. And that's partly why you're working hard, not just to provide for your family, but to provide for the family of God. <clears throat> I know that, that there are some of you, um, when you hear this, you're thinking, man, I, if I can just pay the mortgage this month or pay the rent, um, then I'm doing good. And so for me, giving is a really, really difficult thing. It may, it may be impossible. And that may be true, but I, I, man, I'd like to push back a little bit and just say, man, if we really look at our finances and some things that we can kind of cut and tweak, most, most of us can find a way to be intentional, to be generous to some level, okay? Um, some of us can't. Sometimes there is a season in your life, man, when stuff happens and things pile up and you cannot, you can't. And that's okay, but if we can keep these two things in mind, get out there and work hard, and then amass wealth to be able to share, then any and all of us with God's grace can get to a place where we can, each of us in our own way can be more generous. And that's the goal, right? God wants us to have generous hearts because he was generous in every way with us in Christ. Um, We're also told um, that the early church devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And this is a, a reference to communion, which we're gonna take together here in a few moments. In communion, we remember his broken body and the bread and his, uh, sorry, remember his broken body with the bread and we remember um, his blood spilled out with the drink. And we do that together because we're remembering together that Christ's atoning sacrifice wasn't just for an individual, it wasn't just for me and it wasn't just for you, it was for his people that he's drawing back to himself. And so, as the community of God, we take communion together. All right, last thing. Um, and this is I mean, such a sweet verse, uh, verse 47. Um, look, look at what happens when the early church community was healthy, all right? These are the results of a church functioning in a healthy way. It says that they were praising God and they had favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. When we are functioning as we should, all right, when we're learning from the scripture together, when we're growing in Christ's likeness together, when we're praying for one another and exercising our gifts, when we're forgiving one another, when we're generous with one another, when we are celebrating together the death of Christ, when we're doing all of those things Really what's happening is we're loving one another. That's, those kinds of things is how we define love. And Jesus says this, um, this is John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And inevitably what happens is other people kind of come along, the Lord brings them, and they look in and they say, man, these people really care about one another. They're patient with one another whenever there's conflict, they don't hit the door. They deal with it, right? Like adults. They're generous with one another. They're growing together. They're trying to achieve something as fathers and as mothers, as employees, as business owners. They're trying to achieve something that's really good. And they're not just about themselves. When we are, when that's happening, other people want to be a part. And so once they come and they see, hey, you know, here's Here's what the church really looks like. This is this is pretty cool. Then inevitably they're going to hear the gospel, whether it's from my mouth or whether it's from you and a you know at a, at, a, at a kitchen table or whether it's from Jeremy or somebody else. Like they're going to hear the gospel, and because they now they have ears to hear, man, they're going to come to be saved and they're going to believe what you and I believe. And so um, you may think that I've been making a pitch, at least in part, for gospel community groups this morning. And if you think that. Good job. You've been listening. Okay. You're right. I have been making a pitch for gospel community groups. Um, we, you know, since, uh, COVID-19 hit 2020 has been kind of weird. We've, you know, some groups have kind of taken off since March. Others, um, went through the summer or picked back up in the summer and they've taken August off in the next two or three weeks. We will be getting back to GC on a regular basis. And the, there's even going to be a new GC starting. And so, um, this might be an opportunity for you for the very first time to kind of see what that's all about. Um, and it might be a chance for, for you to maybe do some conflict resolution. I don't know, that could be out there, right? You might need to do that. Um, but just be listening to details um, about the, you know, the wins, the specifics, times, days and leaders and stuff like that, okay? Um, okay, so I've told you some stories and I've attempted to paint a picture this morning of Christian community. But please don't just settle for the picture, okay? Don't just settle for what I've told you. Don't walk out here and think, oh, he told me some nice stories, okay? Um, They're nice stories, but man, they are real. They're real and people are really enjoying life together. And if you have kept people at a distance, now could be the time for you to start to get in and start to to get some of that, all right? To experience some of that. um, when that happens, we grow, all right? And God gets the glory and it's amazing, okay? So let's pray together and, uh, and then the band's gonna come up. We're gonna do some songs and I'll, I'll talk to you about communion, okay? Lord, thank you for the opportunity this morning um, to hear the precious words of scripture that we get to stand or that this morning I get to stand up here and quote The words from the Bible and allow those to work and pierce our hearts, um, that's something that we never want to take for granted. So, um, Lord, we trust that your spirit um, has been working and will continue to work. If there are any ways in which I or someone else in this room, um, if we need to act differently, to be differently, think, feel, proceed differently, Lord, will you help us to know what that is, Will you help us to make decisions that increase our obedience and uh, honoring of you? Amen.